When I was a child, I watched my dad closely. I watched him work. Um, I would go help him cut firewood, and I would just watch longingly for some day when I could work that chainsaw, and uh, which took far longer than I thought it should, of course, right? I wanted at that thing right away. And then when I, I did have the chance to do that, of course, it was with my, all my dad's safety and, you know, um, what I thought he was just like looming over me and, and uh, constricting all my freedom. I'm just like, let go of me and let me have this thing. But my dad was smarter than that. Uh, and he didn't. And so he kept my, my arms intact and all my fingers there and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I watched him in the most mundane of activities, you know, waking up in the morning sometimes or, or getting ready for bed or um, as we ate dinner uh, around the table and we would joke as a family. And um, one day I, I watched him um, enough to know, I think I can do this. And so one day um, I... I thought that I needed to, to shave the, uh, the seven-year-old stubble on my face because, I mean, I'm growing into a man. And so it's already starting to grow. And so, um, so I grabbed his razor and I grabbed the shaving cream and I put some shaving cream on, like, like enough for about a month's worth of shaving, rubbed it on my hands put it on my face, did the whole thing, and then I took this razor, and I went one time, made it safely, and then another time, barely made it safely, and then that third time, I couldn't pull down that time, right? And my mom and dad were like, <gasps> in slow motion, you know, they reached, they grabbed my hand, and they stopped me, so no damage ensued, but I made it out by the skin of my, well, face, yes. Thank you. But, you know, we do that. We watch, we watch parents. We watch grandparents. We watch friends. We watch uh, superstars, you know, and all of that. And, and, and in Ephesians, as we move into chapter 5 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is saying that we're to imitate God. Now we might think, wait, how are we supposed to imitate God? We can't see God. Well, he's been building on this point of what it means to be in the school of Christ, right? Um, uh, what, it, what it means to live in such a way that we, we speak the truth in love to one another. That's how, why God has given us the body of Christ or the church. He's given pastors, elders, and teachers to help us grow up in learning how to speak the truth in love to one another. Now, it's a learning process. It doesn't always go uh, smoothly when you're speaking something that might be challenging or hard to another person. That doesn't always go uh, smoothly. Or when somebody's hearing truth being spoken in love, uh, the listening doesn't always go so well, or the receiving of it doesn't always go so well. And so uh, the Apostle Paul has been, after speaking about speaking the truth in love, um, he's been speaking about what it means to be in the school of Christ, which means when you became Christians, you, you, you have, that means something that's happened in the past with an enduring impact. Right? It's not just something that happened and that has to happen again and that has to happen again. It has happened. You have put off the old self, with, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we need to be renewed, or we have been renewed in the spirit of our minds, which happens through intimate engagement with God in His Word in the context of biblical community. As the church gathers here, week in and week out, as we gather in smaller pockets, 
uh, throughout the week. And we have put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But I can look at my life. I can see plenty of unrighteousness in my life. I can see plenty of unholiness in my life. And so the practical outworking of this is an ongoing practice. Maybe the single most important It's always difficult to say when there's thousands of pages in the Bible, but uh, maybe the single most important uh, concept for how we are to change. We're, We're essentially to repeat how we came to Christ, but we're not coming to salvation over and over again. And so what we do is we recognize when we have a sinful activity in our heart or that we see expressed through the members of our body, the words of our mouth, what do we do? Well, we we put off that which we know is sinful, that which we know does not line up exactly the way the Lord wants us to live in the Bible. But simultaneously, and it doesn't always happen in this order, maybe it's we become aware of it and we become, and this would be the second part, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, because our minds have deceitful desires. That means I I, I look at this aspect of worldly living and I think that's going to satisfy my hunger and I realize it only satisfies for a moment and then it just begs for more. And so I want to go out for more and I want to go for more or maybe I need to add more things to it. And and so what he's saying is, no, you need to be transformed. Do Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we want to put off the sin, the sinful belief system. We want to be transformed in the renewing of our mind, always seeking to follow the plumb line of God's word. And then we want to put on righteous living, right? Rather than speaking falsehood, we want to speak truth. Why? Being renewed in the spirit of our minds, because I don't want to speak falsehood to those who are members of the same body. We're working to build up, or God is working to build up one unified body under the head of Jesus Christ. And we want to contribute to that as much as we're able in this life. And so we want to put off falsehood and want to speak truth to one another. We want to stop stealing, but rather we want to work diligently so that, here's the being transformed by the renewing of our minds, so that we have something to give to someone in need. So now I'm no longer thinking about myself and, 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 and being... Not ever filling the adjective right here, lazy or, or wanting to cheat or wanting to have more than I actually earn at my own job. So rather than thinking about things coming to me, I work diligently so that I can give to those who are in need. Right? And we've asked this question, when does a thief no longer become a thief? When he's serving someone else. When he has something and he is working to give that or uh, encourage or help someone else with that. And so then he follows all of this thinking into Ephesians chapter 5, where he gives two strong commands. And he gives two constructive commands here. Um, Paul, if you remember, one of the things we've looked at since the beginning of our series, and I'm repeating it often to help us, is Paul labors in love to show us what it means to be in Christ in chapters 1, 2, and 3 specifically. What does it mean to be in Christ? And secondly, the the application of that is so that we eagerly welcome what God demands of us as we walk in Him as a result. Pastor Kent Hughes has said, it's not so much a question of what we will do with Ephesians, but what it will do with us. And so as we've looked at Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and if you missed those sermons, uh, or at the very least, go back and read those chapters, because that is the, the, the important reality of what God is doing. 
what God has done and what He is working toward as He has redeemed a people unto Himself in order to build us up into Christ. So read with me Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 this morning. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. As God's beloved children, we are to imitate Him by walking in love toward one another in the same way that Christ has sacrificially loved us. I just key in on that word, sacrificial love, which is a love that the Bible described, which is a love that, that the Bible lays out for us. And we'll see in this passage that Paul describes these positive truths or constructive commands about true godly love and then as um, Craig will preach on next week, he, he, he um, then contrasts that by saying, therefore, stop living this way. And he gets a little bit in their face. So Paul gives these constructive commands to walk in love. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You might remember from Ephesians 4. There are several therefores in this text. And they, th- th- these are pointing back to Ephesians 4.1, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4.17, we're to walk differently than the world. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles or the unbelieving uh, do because of their hardness of heart. And then most recently, he's called us to put off bitterness, anger, math. Uh, math. <laughs> All the kids were just like, yes. No math. You're welcome, teachers. Bitterness, anger, wrath, slander, and to walk in kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving one another. And these are all characteristics of God who is love. God doesn't have love. God is love. Every attribute, every characteristic, every trait about God uh, is an is because it's, a, it's who he is as his person, as his nature. If you were to strip away one ounce of any of those things away from the Lord, he would cease to be God because he is not everything good perfectly to infinity. This is our God. And so Paul calls us to walk in light, and he calls us to walk in wisdom, and we'll see this in the, in the coming weeks. He uses this word, uh, mimetes, which is an imitator. It can be used positively or negatively, right? And so it's the term we get mimic from, someone who copies specific characteristics of another person. And so as Christians, which was originally a derogatory, derogatory term, we're to be little Christs. We are to imitate God. We are to imitate God made visible through Jesus Christ. Remember, they're not two different people. Jesus is God with a belly button, right? And so the whole Christian life is the reproduction, the reproducing, the imitating, the mimicking of godliness as we have seen it in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we read about it in God's inspired word, right? God's purpose in salvation, is to redeem us from sin and to conform us, Romans 8, 29 tells us, to conform us into the image of His Son. To, to, to become perfect just as God as, is perfect. As obedient children, Peter tells us, do not be conformed to the former lust. That sounded familiar, didn't it, to Ephesians 4, 20? Which were, which were yours in ignorance, but like the one who called you is holy, so be holy also in all your behavior. Because it's written, you shall be holy, 
for I am holy, which originates from Leviticus 11.1. But even as we pursue that holiness, we get frustrated, or at least I find myself frustrated because I'm not holy yet. I'm holy in the sense that I'm set apart positionally, but I, we always need to remember to practice our position. I'm to walk in holiness. I'm to walk in righteousness. There's sort of a negative air that can be, um, that can be uh, maybe spoken about others. Oh, they think they're holier than thou. Well, as long as they're pursuing Jesus and striving to be humble and grow in their holiness, that's exactly what we ought to be striving for. We ought to be pursuing Christ-likeness. Not a, not a loose but distant association from Christ. We ought to be striving to come as close to the character of Jesus as we can. It would be wrong for us to read, be holy for I am holy, and say, well, I can't ever be holy, so I'm not going to try. That would be to say that God erred in communicating his word to us in that way, and God never errs. He doesn't lie. So he says, be holy. He says, imitate God. And here's the great hope for us. As we imperfectly pursue this end, our great hope is that we know that when Jesus appears, we will be like him. Just like that. We will be made like him. We will be glorified. For we shall see him as he is. And Romans 5 tells us it's possible because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That means that you have been given the tools, you have been given the resources to increasingly, slowly, progressively become more and more like Jesus. So church, let's get after it. Let's put all of our spiritual sweat into becoming more like Jesus rather than exerting all of our effort, pushing away from the very thing that we need to be running to and clinging to, rather the, 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 the very one that we need to be running to and clinging to. Let's do, with the, do away with the this is good enough mindset, which serves no one and serves as a, as a broad excuse for I want to live in my own ungodliness. We just are, we know better than to say that. Well, I can't do that. Well, the Bible says you can. So do you believe God? And do you believe that God gave us his word? And do you believe that God wants the very best for you? Why would he have sent his son to die in your place on that old rugged cross if he would not give you everything you need to fulfill the commands that he's called us to? Now it's going to happen, right? We're in this room of people, some who've been following Jesus for 70 or 80 years, some who've been following Jesus for less than a year. We're older, we're younger. Our, our spiritual maturity is not necessarily tied to our age or, or the length of our walk with Christ. So what you and I are responsible for today is to make a commitment to imitate God and to walk in love. And you will either make a commitment to do what is necessary to pursue Christ in that or not deciding to make that commitment is also a decision. So at the onset, I want to ask you, what do you think your decision will be? I pray that every one of us would say, I'm nervous about it because I know I don't do it right. And we'd all raise our hands. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord who has given us everything we need 
So we have, we have these uh, constructive commands. We're to be imitators of God and we're to walk in love. Well, why? Well, because we're beloved children. We're adopted. Remember Ephesians 1 tells us that we're adopted into God's family. God, in a way that we can't comprehend, sovereignly predestined us for adoption to the praise of the glory of His grace. Remember, He's working in all of history so that all of the angels, all of the demons, everyone would, would, would in the end of times see that God is the worthy one to be praised. He is the only worthy one. And God, God calls people to himself and he sets them up, if, if you will, on this trophy shelf, if you will, as, as proverbial uh, trophies of God's grace. Not one of us will get to heaven and say, aren't you proud of how well I did it by myself? you say that, he'll say something to the effect of, away from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. But if we get there and we get asked this question, or however it's going to go down in eternity, why should I let you into heaven, Jesus? Welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant, Jesus. We're to be imitators of God since we've been made a new creature in Jesus Christ. We're to live as new creatures in our daily life. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And then he gives us a pattern. So he gives us a constructive command, and then he gives us a pattern for it. We are to copy the specific characteristics that the Bible reveals to us about God and which we see most visibly in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. These are called his communicable attributes. We cannot image God perfectly. We cannot image God fully because God has attributes that are incommunicable. That means they are attributes of his person and his nature that he does not share with anyone else. God is omnipresent. No other being is omnipresent. God is all-knowing. No other being is all knowing. But God is love. And God generously and kindly shares his love with humans. And so every communicable attribute, shared attribute of God, we are to pursue and pursue to the degree of copying him. Like we don't get points for creativity. We see grace extended through just being faithful. Lord, I see how you loved. I want to love in that way. In order to imitate God, it can't go without saying that you need to be a Christian. You need to be a beloved child of God, which means if you sit under the preaching of the Word of God, whether in this church or in another church, or you've, you've done religion for a very long time, I understand churches can kind of do church differently, but, but we stand firmly on the foundation that we are dead in our trespasses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul tells us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't do anything to make ourselves alive. God made us alive, First Peter tells us, and He has called Him to Himself, and He has made us alive together with Christ. And now as those who are alive, the moment that happens, the Bible says we're justified. That means we're made right. The, 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 the judge who is God drops, that's another incommunicable attribute, by the way, the, the, the gavel drops, and he says, you are right with 
God. And so when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And we stand on that. We live and die on that fact. It is one thing that we will never, by the grace and mercy of God, we will never recant. Persecution ever comes to this nation, and it's coming. We will not turn away from the reality that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. That's not a harsh message. These are the words of life. There's a popular line of thinking that says, well, everybody is a child of God. I mean, there's a sense in which we're created by God to image God. We're created by him, for in him we live and move and have our being. But the Bible is clear that in order to become a child of God, we only become a child of God when we're born in his family through the spiritual birth. J.F. Packer says it this way, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his father. Brothers and sisters, let us not live like orphans who live with a, 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 a perpetual fear that they're not, they're not cared for by anyone. They're not loved by anyone. They're not, um, they're not the possession in the, in the most generous, uh, kindest sense of the word. But we are. We, we go from being an orphan to being adopted children of God. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to the all who, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And as we saw in Ephesians 1.5, God predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. And as imitators of God, we are to imitate His characteristics and above all, walk in love. Walk in love. Our daily lives are to be characterized by love as we imitate our Father. How do you imitate your Father? You watch. You look. You learn. You inquire. You study. You try and fall. And you watch again. And you walk on. Imitating our Father. Romans 13, 8 through 10, speaking of love, says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore love is fulfilling the law. So that's the, that's the second command, or that may be the, the how of how we're to do it. But then here's the pattern that we see. We are to walk in love as, or in the same way as, or, or like, or following the pattern of Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us. The whole of the Christian life is this 
this imperfect, though sought after, as we said earlier, reproduction of godliness as seen in the person of Jesus. How quick are we, brother and sister, to, to, uh, to excuse our behavior of living as though we're not able to attain it, all the while turning with the other hand and reaching for the very thing that we know we're not supposed to be do, the very thing that we think is going to give us life, the very thing that we think is going to give us joy, the very thing that we think is going to bring happiness, the very thing we think is going to protect us from being hurt. And all the while, we're guarding ourselves, we're protecting our own hearts, we're building a fortress around our own hearts, and God says, lay it out all on the line. Walk to the garden and pray with your father. Beg your father for another way, sure. But at the end of the day, when the Lord makes it clear that you're to walk in this way of obedience, we say, not my will. Yours be done. Yours be done. Father, give me the grace to take one step of faith-filled obedience. Give me the grace to take another step of faith-filled obedience. Father, give me the self-control, really give me the God, the Spirit control, to be able to keep inside the things that I know shouldn't be coming out of my mouth or shouldn't be expressed through my life. And while I'm working on controlling those behaviors, putting off those patterns that are not glorifying to you, I want to be continually renewed in the spirit of my mind so that I can see, so that I can attest to, that I can celebrate all of the wonderful goodness that is to be had when I follow you in faith-filled obedience. Your ways, God, are best. And I do believe that, but like the centurion, we would say, Lord, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? Or with the psalmist who said, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. I love you and I want to obey you and I want to walk in love. And yet there's a part of my heart, my heart's fractured. And there are parts of my heart that are floating around over here and I want to walk in selfishness. I want to walk in deceit. I want to walk my own way. So unite my heart, package it up, tie it up, hold it together. through a desire that only comes from you, to love you, to please you. So what does this pattern of love look like? Well, Stephen Cole defined it like this. Uh, Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one love. Do you see the five commitments that are in here? One is God's greatest love is costly. God's love is cost, a costly love. If you say you love someone and you're not willing to sacrifice beyond a certain measure, well, then at some level, it's, it's a human love. And God has called us to live with a, a Christ-like, self-sacrificing love, like Jesus, who gave himself up for us. God's love is a caring love. Just as the father has compassion on his children, Psalm 103.13 says, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, those who, who, who revere him and want to walk in his ways. If we think about someone that doesn't share our interests or, or maybe they offended us or maybe we've been wounded and we've been clinging on to that, that wounding, rather than simply putting off bitterness, anger, wrath, and malice... We're to put on love, expressed through kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Forgiveness always reconciles relationships. There are times that, that you're not able to forgive someone because they haven't come and asked for forgiveness, 
And that's really another conversation. But what we're saying is I have a, I have a posture, I have a disposition that is willing and ready to forgive. And how do you act when you have that disposition? Well, you walk in love. You're tenderhearted toward them. You don't wish them harm. You want the best for them. You pray for them. God's love is a committed love. In in a very real human sense, Jesus didn't go to the cross because he wanted to. He wasn't thinking, oh man, this is going to be a tough fourth quarter, but man, it's going to be great afterward. It's going to feel good while I go through this. No, it was a committed love. Not my will, Lord. Yours be done. He committed to it and he followed it through. It's a conspicuous love. It shows itself, right? In other words, it's not just thinking nice thoughts about others, but it's also evident in our deeds, very similarly to the the passage that we um, read about. Oh, actually it's not, but it still comes from James, right? That we're talking about, uh, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you something that's no faith at all, loosely paraphrased. And God's love is a consecrating love. As I already mentioned, it's committed to seeking the good of the one that is loved. And because Christ loved the church, he purposed, he committed, he made it visible that he would sanctify the church. Why? For this purpose, which we'll see later on in Ephesians 5, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, with no spot of wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That means as a, as a consecrating love, as, as a love that, that seeks to, to, in the ways God has made uh, accessible to us, to be consecrating ourselves and working together to consecrate or, or make holy one another for the day when we'll see Jesus, for the day when we'll get to be with Him forever. And brother or sister, if you're not in a relationship where someone else can speak truth in love into your life, you're on a dangerous precipice. We need to be in committed relationships in some, well, that can look like a lot of different formats, but committed relationships where there's someone or many someones who can come to you and speak into your life things that you know that you don't want to hear, and they know you don't want to hear, but they know that you desire Christ-likeness, They know that you desire to walk in love, and they love you by helping you become more like Christ. If you know someone who is in any sin that they are committed to, it is unloving to allow them to continue in it. We think, well, I'm just being nice. Well, I don't want to be judgmental. Well, if I say this, they may respond in this way. All of the responses are God's to worry about. Ours is to walk faithfully and circumspectly and help one another grow to be like Christ. So how on earth are we supposed to do this? How do we pursue this as we, as we close together? Well, one, we need to look to the future. We need to focus, take the focus off of our present reality. That doesn't mean minimize it. It doesn't mean it's unimportant. We need to make it the lesser focus, right? Paul said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary or transient, and what is seen or what is unseen is eternal. Focus your minds on the things that are eternal. That's called walking in faith. 
We also know that imitating His love is possible because, as we mentioned earlier, God has poured His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we are able to bear fruit. That's not ours. It's His. We don't seek to produce the fruit. We abide in Him, and He produces the fruit as we grow in Him. History tells us that uh, when Alexander the Great uh, discovered a coward in his army who also had the name Alexander, he told the soldier, renounce your cowardice or renounce your name. Those who carry God's name are to care more about God's name than we are our family name. Those who carry God's name have exchanged their identity on this earth for being associated with the one true eternal God. Four commitments I want to ask you to consider. Actually, they're not really mine. And I really don't want to ask you to consider them. I want to ask you to do them. Commit yourself to living entirely for the glory of God. Say, God, whatever you bring in my life, I pray by your grace that I will live for your glory. I know it won't be perfect. Friend, if you think we're going to surprise God through imperfect pursuit of holiness, you're sorely mistaken. He's not shocked. <clears throat> you sinned. Oh, it's a good thing I sent my son to die on the cross for all these people's sin. No, not a chance. Commit yourself to learning God's ways a little every day. Friends, I can't tell you how frequently I hear somebody say something about the way that they're living and say, well, I just, I just don't know that much about the Bible. Well, that's fine. The question is, will you know a little bit more about it tomorrow? Or are you just going to continue walking with that excuse in pocket? And then every time after you're pursuing your own ways or just doing it how you think it might be, you might be giving it your best effort. Problem is, if you're not doing it according to knowledge, well, it's still going to lead you down a faulty road. And then every time somebody challenges you, you just whip that bad boy out. Well, I don't know that much about the Bible. Well, I'm not much of a reader. Well, God gave us a book. Uh, I, I don't know how to do this perfectly, and, or I'm nervous about it, or I'm afraid of what will happen, or these are all legitimate conversations. The question is, today you have the opportunity to commit and say, I'm going to learn God's ways a little bit every day through His Word. Three, commit yourself to asking God's help. God loves to help those who call on Him. Why? It glorifies Him. So you ask for help, you open your book, and you say, God, I want to live for your glory. Three in one right there. And to love others, we need to commit yourself. You need to commit yourself to active participation in the local church. If you're a regular attender in Oak Grove Church, you really ought to consider being a member of Oak Grove Church, making a commitment, saying, I want to commit to joining uh, in an agreement, in a partnership with the other members of this church to pursuing Christ-likeness and everything. If you attend another, uh, another uh, like-minded Jesus-preaching church, wonderful. Get engaged in that local body of Christ. Commit yourself to walking in love with those God has sovereignly placed you in the proximity of. Work to build up the body of Christ. Don't work to tear down the body of Christ. Don't work to, to gripe about the church. Don't work to complain about how things are going. Work to walk in love with humility. And all the while, with the 
constant awareness that we're imperfect in it. But God has sent His Son. God demonstrated His love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And from that moment on, when we come to faith in Christ, we pursue righteousness. And when we fail, which will be often, we cry out to the Lord and confess it, and we receive His forgiveness. And then we walk in confidence, all by His grace. As we take the Lord's Supper, parents, this is a wonderful time for you to sort of, I always call it, whisper preach the gospel to your kids, or whisper talk to gospel to your kids. Uh, as, as we take communion here, this may be different from a church that you attend. We'll have four uh, servers, two in, two in the front corners and two in the back corners, and we want to encourage you. If you attend a church that's a Jesus-preaching church, we want to uh, encourage you to share in the Lord's Supper with us if your profession is that I'm a child of God. I am saved by God's grace and by God's grace alone through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you're not sure that you're a Christian, we want to encourage you just to remain seated and use this as a great time for prayer. It's really, uh, no, there's really no better of a request than to say, Lord, search me and know my heart. Test me. Uh, in shorthand, help me see what my relationship with you is like, if I have one. There's no better time than to cast off yourself and put on the Lord Jesus Christ than right here, right now. Knowing that we live in community with one another, this is a wonderful time to go encourage a brother or sister who has encouraged you in the faith. Or if there's someone you know there's discord with, this is a very appropriate time to, to grab a brother or a sister or maybe even a family member and say, hey, we need to talk about this at some point in time. We can't do it all right now, but could we work toward reconciliation? Can you help me know how I've offended you? Or to grab another brother or sister and just take a moment to pray together. The worship team will lead us in a minute, and as they do, we'll sing. And you can, you can move straight away to communion as, as we begin to worship together. Or you can pause, you can sit in your seat, and you can pray for a while. And then when you're ready, you can get up and go to any corner. Our servers will stay there until the end, and, and they'll gladly serve you whenever you're ready. Children, if you're not sure what this is all about, ask your mom and dad. Why do we eat this bread and drink this juice? And they'll gladly tell you about how Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for you.